You are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that can predict your dying day. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me this week is... Matt Marcus. And I'm Garrett. And today we're talking about The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, episodes 7 through 8. Content warnings for today's batch include torture, threats of thermonuclear war, being burned alive, and questionable sexual suggestive situations. Uh, that that one's kind of underselling it a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything, given that I have more context than the both of you. Okay, because, uh, yikes. Uh, it's, it's the context I got. I promise uh, least... I did not make you watch anything that is as vile as it might seem. <laughs> Good, I hope not. Uh, but they sure like pretending like it could be. Um, but anyway, we start with episode seven, Music and Revolution. And we begin with a title card, Carib Sante Detention Facility, three months ago. And we we start out hot out the gate with Fujiko being whipped in a jail cell. Like, just full-on torture. Uh, yikes. Uh, and her captors are demanding to know who she's working for. But before this goes anywhere, a wall is, like, blown open, and a man in a Different color fatigues. These are olive instead of, uh, you know, sort of your dusty khaki. Uh, he comes in, shoots the guards and frees her. And he's like, he's like, let's call him Chad Guevara, because that's basically what this guy is. He does have a name, but I mention it when it comes up. Uh, 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 but it's like, yes, what if, what if the the Chad man? Well, actually, he doesn't have the most ridiculous chin, but like, yeah, what if what if Shea Guevara was less soft and more Chad? It's a strong jaw. Yeah, yeah. It's a good looking dude. If it wasn't for the fortune teller in the second episode, I would say I don't think this art style lends itself to a weak jaw, but then there's old Melty Face there. <laughs> That's fair. Also, uh, like, I think there is something going on with the angle, because when like the other fatigue people come in and shoot, it looks like Fujiko should just be killed in that line of fire. You're right. Yeah, the because like the line of bullets like where you just see the bullets flying and uh it's like zoomed in so you can't see either side like the 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 captors or fujiko but it does look like she would be hit and she's not so uh the other thing is like definitely was getting a little bit of like turkish bay vibes from the guy in doing the interrogating side like he's got a real evil grin like he's enjoying this which was also gross yeah that's fair um after the title, I don't know if you can be the head torturer without enjoying a little bit of torturing. Uh, yeah, yeah, but oof. Like, I'm just saying, imagine quiet quitting your torturing job. <laughs> See? See? Wait, no, 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 no. Look, See, look. This, here's the problem with that, is that quiet quitting isn't just like doing a bad job or not caring about your job it's doing the job exactly as much as you want as you're told to look i you know, three lashes per shoulder alternating all right you gonna tell me who you work for no all right all right we can keep uh, yeah, doing this right, for well, a while let me let me change things up i gotta make sure i don't uh pull a rotator cuff okay we'll switching arms now smoke break <laughs> just go for a smoke break every uh every 15 minutes or so it's like ah you know just gonna not gonna push it too hard today you know i'm just gonna run out the clock 
Here, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna heat this up. Uh, I'm gonna try and make it so uh, this is a, a good branding. Don't worry, it's gonna be clean. Oh, extremely dark, <laughs> extremely dark way to open this episode. Deep we already side. gave the content warnings for torture and being burned alive. Don't worry. I I, <laughs> I watch these episodes and I don't remember the being burned alive. Oh, that was intense. Holy shit. Yeah, it uh part of that's going to be our episode art this week. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the clean shot the clean shot uh, no 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 that's fair that's fair it's just yeah, it's it they linger anyway yeah that's not this episode that is next episode okay i i look forward to being reminded what this was because mm. i i'm blanking out um anywho after the title we're introduced to the doomsday clock which i believe is supposed to kind of help organize this episode so you can keep track of the timeline of events spoilers it doesn't work well there's a lot of i'll lay it out for you at the end okay i just want to put it out there that the, so there's the doomsday clock as it ticks up that kind of it covers like the main events of the episode but then there's a lot of like jumping back months and weeks throughout the episode through the title cards that doesn't really hit for me um well the thing with the, i mean should we describe what the Doomsday Clock is? I was going to say, we should probably give a very quick overview. I uh -huh. removed my copy of it from the notes because I think it's dumb as dog shit. Mm -hmm. uh, the Doomsday Clock is basically a large public way of saying, this is how close we are to the threat of thermonuclear war. And it's supposed to tick towards midnight. Midnight would be, alright, screw it, the bombs have been launched, we're all dead. During the Cold mm -hmm. War, this was still kind of propaganda because, you know, a a country and an organization has to be the ones who are going, ah, yes, we're getting closer to that war, tick up a minute, tick up a minute. But this is also just... In this episode, we do actually have a not Cuban Missile Crisis, and people trying to get a war going. So it's like, it doesn't really do much to have it just ticking when we're watching the actual events play out. It's like, yep, we saved on animation. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it, it does sort of, you know, I think it explains it in the episode, right? Yeah, I think so it like, does, at least, yeah. Yeah, they, it, it does add a little bit of tension, but there's enough tension without it. Right? Like, you could already tell, like, shit's popping off. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I looked up what it was currently, and now I'm just sad. Uh, it's, oh, no. <laughs> it's been ratcheting up and down for the past ten years. Again, don't take the Doomsday Clock too seriously. At this point, it kind of just exists to draw attention to itself whenever they want to go, Hey, guys, we played with the Minute Hand. Guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They did. And now it doesn't even make sense, because, like... I, I don't know how you make a hundred seconds out of minutes and half minutes. It doesn't math out. I told you it's very bad. <laughs> I mean, the, there are chronographs that will measure hundredth of a second. They're called centigraphs. They exist. I don't know why they exist, but they the, do. The clock is supposed to work in, in minute and half minute intervals. It should be 90. <laughs> We're getting you onto metric time. Swatch internet time. Oh base 1000 look i have to deal enough with unix time at work i'm i'm good 
anyway, um, we are in the Central American nation of Carib, where Carib. the group called Carib, sorry, where the group called the Bloody Vow has taken over uh, a coup. The Chad type figure person from the prison, uh, Fidel Keast, uh, is giving a speech over uh, protesting crowds. The, the the like fake names in this one are so funny because it's it's not Fidel it's Philadel as in like Philadelphia yeah yep well also like the nations too and just uh huh oh oh I have the what nations written out yeah oh yeah they're so <laughs> they're so funny the dub makes his speech nigh impossible to hear under the newscaster until I turned on the subs to check spelling on his name I did not know it was supposed to be audible but. Yeah, if you guys were reading this, you got more of it than I did. I mean, mm-hmm. that's even questionable because, like, the subtitles did a very good job of overlapping one another with those as well. Which I think that's probably a me problem for watching the uh, the high dive version. I think oh, their that could system be. is not the best. On the Blu-ray, he's at the top and the reporter is at the bottom. Oh, yeah, no, it's yeah. just all at the bottom on high dive. Oh no! Oh, that's I, rough. I hate when they do that. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. And and uh, like I've I've yeah. now since bought this, so like I had no excuse for not watching the Blu-ray, other than I wanted to uh, lay in bed and watch this. Well, if it makes mm-hmm. you feel better, in turning on those subtitles, I clearly fucked something up because I had to stop and restart the Blu-ray because by turning on the subtitles and then switching back to signs it stopped showing me the subtitles for the signs, which is real great when we're doing two weeks prior, three months later. All yeah, those scenes right. make no sense without the subtitles. Yeah, I never understand. So this is something I see a lot in these Blu-rays, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's the the full English subtitle, then there's English for signs, and then there's japanese subtitles and i'm like who wants that middle one is that just me i guess that's for i leave that on for <laughs> i guess when... so yeah for like this episode <laughs> that's what i needed that on why are the signs not translated in the english version <laughs> so it's because of the fact that especially depending on how it was animated well that's a yeah. real bitch to do isn't isn't like if you have on just like the subtitles it includes the signs so it's like full subtitles sign subtitles japanese I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like the signs don't get translated. It depends. But you still have English subtitles. It depends on how the people mastering it set it up. Usually it means they're going to translate anything that is plot relevant. They might not do every single thing in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's not everything. That's But yeah, in this case, especially when there are interstitial cards telling you this is where you are and when... Uh, you kind of need the this is where you are and when translated if you do not speak well Japanese. <laughs> speak well yeah, Japanese. Especially in Great, this one. there's an episode. <laughs> I mean, well also, it's, it's reading, so. <laughs> Anywho, um, right, Kass Kiest, I'm, I'm going to use both, is going to address the UN soon. And uh, it seems, you know, he's pretty pro, pro-communist, which like, good for him. Cool. Um, also, also the kicker is the reporter is uh, Fujiko, who uses her real name for this because reasons. She, always, she almost always uses her real name. Like the Maria it, thing was an exception, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. or I guess that the is weird. You know, prison 
Prisoner of Love is also another case where she used a different name. But like there are times when she does use her regular name and she's still like playing a character. It's very strange. Yep. So we then cut back two weeks prior and we pan through this nation. It is totally Cuba. There's this little Latin jazz bit under the next sequence as an airplane enters and we see Goemon Ishikawa walk out of the hangar. Hell yeah, he's the best. Mm -hmm. The Goemon Fujiko episodes really do have a very different vibe from anything else because there's no Lupin here, there's no Jigen here. We haven't actually seen that crew start interacting yet. It's well, just... I mean... It... So far, the Goemon ones are political. Yep. They're all like 100% political intrigue. It's great. But, like, I wasn't even sure what was going to get stolen in this episode. In fact, when I don't think the thing is very well constructed for that. Right. There's also the thing where, like, while, like, the Goemon Fujiko episodes are political themed, both those characters are like, I don't give the fuck about politics. <laughs> and, and even so it's always like going on it's like you want me to kill somebody i don't really want to do that but i guess that's how i make my money well he's been hired or brought here to perform an assassination and he is not interested at all until the probably cia handler just lets slip there's this uh friendly journalist in town via a newspaper photo fujiko mine and she shows up during this meeting by the end so it's like hey samurai well, it's, but, hey, Mr. Boyfriend. <laughs> Interesting. That's not what they say in the dub. It's a, hey, Mr. Samurai. She doesn't make the boyfriend joke again. Oh, yeah, I, well, it could just be the high dive subs, but the, those subs uh, treat it as, hey, Mr. Boyfriend throughout most of the episode. I'm pretty sure, like, the actual Japanese VA says, like, it's like, like, boyfriendo or something. <laughs> like, uh, it, it, on the Blu-ray, it is also boy, uh, Mr. Boyfriend. Got it. It turns out the whole thing is they just want Kest dead before he speaks to the UN. We then cut to what is totally not Russia. <laughs> they, they call it the uh, Runia Neon Union. I, I, that, that is such a mouthful. That's the worst one to me. Yeah, no, that one. Like, why do you need a hyphen in there? It, it, we, we get it. We get it. Wait anyway. until you start seeing me write the words Runyanian. <laughs> in, the, in the notes yeah so so they're in the war room uh the uh crimzales war room so i guess kremlin whatever yep uh <laughs> it's uh two weeks later on the appointed day of the plane trip to the un slash the assassination and the men put on a very not russian pin into an absolutely actual cuba on the map because the map is not any different and they basically want to perform the cuban missile crisis and we cut from there to the united states of yamericana <laughs> and not just there but they call it this is the great house's oblong office <laughs> i love this i love these so much well, it's the dumb good. thing about it is that this is also the war room. This is not actually the Oval Office. <laughs> yeah, the, they say the Oblong Office, and then we are in the darkest monitors and computers tactical room. 
Yeah, we're in yeah, like the sci-fi war room. Yeah. <laughs> I bet there are not this many monitors in the actual White House war room at this point. Like, this would be a Pentagon bunker. That's what it That's feels true. like. Or it's like the bunker underneath the White House or something, right? Like, it's connected. Um, but, yeah. Very, <laughs> like, again, fun names, but, like, they don't line up to what's actually happening <laughs> on the screen in a way. But... We get our uh, bootleg uh, President Kennedy here, and he's sitting in this uh, dim briefing room, and they're trying to think of how to get Kest out of the picture before he can become, you know, a thorn in their side. But the president's like, you know, I don't really want to assassinate him because that's that'll cause too much trouble. But he does authorize deploying an agent. Right. Yeah. 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 That whole, the whole, yeah, Marikina part, I'm, it was very just like, are we the baddies, question mark? I don't know. They seem to go back I mean, and forth. All right, we'll, well, we'll cover this at the end. I will lay out how this goes down and in what time frame. Yeah, it's just funny, though, because, like, you would think that the president would just go, yeah, do what you got to do. But that's not what happens here. He goes like, I don't know if I really want to do that. You know, and we it are also goes with it anyway. We are also talking about not Kennedy, and this is a guy who, depending on how you look at things, pissed off the CIA enough that they took him out. So I could see him going, <laughs> "I'm not playing that game." <laughs> uh. Anyway, um, putting that on the back burner, um, Kest <laughs> gives a speech on the runway. With uh, Fujiko taking pictures as part of his entourage. And then this plane leaves the country with uh, Goemon staying behind. Um, he's in the crowd with the the samurai hat that I'm sure has a name. I could not actually find one. Uh, the closest I found, because I was thinking there's got to be a technical term for this. Just uh, Sometimes it's just referred to as a rice paddy hat or a straw shade hat. There is no specific thing other than... Keeps you keeps you from getting heat stroke. Alright. Well he's wearing the cool samurai hat that's made of like hay or what whatnot. Um and then we cut back two weeks again where uh Goemon is telling Fujiko hesitation could cost her everything, but she says she's fine with this. And um we don't know what this is yet. Before this scene, I was thinking about reordering these notes to put the whole story in chronological order for our telling, but this is the one that made me go, uh, this is this is kind of useless, and some of these flashbacks are just to build suspense. Right. <laughs> ah, well. On the plane, uh, present day, Cast is talking to Fujiko about his ideals. He quotes a bit of Marx here. And he makes a comment that just as how he fights for his adopted country's honor, we find out he came from South America, not Karib, Fujiko's home country of Japan had their own honorable warriors, samurai. There are no themes here. Nope, none at all. <laughs> Suddenly, from the back, two men in white fatigues, the same who were torturing Fujiko, burst into the cabin with weapons. They say they have questions for Fujiko as well, but... Today, Cast, your revolution dies, along with you. Their demands on the radio are asylum upon landing until the rightful government is restored. 
So white uniforms appear to be related to the former regime. So back in Yamericana, it's so weird to say Yamericana. At least <laughs> Look, it flows like... better. <laughs> when you got the yams. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the president authorizes sending in some naval units. So they're going to do a Bay of Pigs and uh, or something like that. I don't know. But he's unsure of what's actually going on on the plane. And he's saying, oh, we acted res- we acted recklessly. I don't see how this ends well. And uh, we see a sequence where, uh, you know, we have the couple of jets that are sort of trailing the plane and then a um, refueling ship or refueling plane comes in and they uh, actually like top off the plane so it doesn't crash because apparently it didn't have a lot of uh, juice left in there. And Kest and one of the uh, hijackers chat. Uh, we learned that the hijackers would also like to learn about an alleged secret oil field that the previous regime had control of. And Kess just says, hey, it, that doesn't exist at all. That was just a, a lie that they used for leverage in international negotiations. And uh, this doesn't make the hijackers feel very good. <laughs> They're pretty pissed off by even the suggestion that he's uh, that it could be not real. And then outside, as the cargo plane refuels the Carib jet, the American escorts prepare to make it look like an accident until a Renanian jet arises from the clouds with them. (laughs) I'm just extremely cursed thought. Instead of an I, you put Y's there, so it's Renanian. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the of the Nico Nico knee, but with that instead. <laughs> the Russian themed. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just ruined this entire podcast. I'm sorry. Don't make me pull out Klezmer Pokel for this section. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, Chaos Season version 2.0. <laughs> In the oblong office, the president says um, they have to play nice because one false move has just become World War Three begins. Um, at the Crimsail, the premier knows he has the advantage now. And um, the eye catches we get for this episode are Fujiko's hands holding up toy jets from the two nations. And then uh, Goemon's hand pulling his... Uh, shade hat over his head um bathing him in silhouette and when we come back from commercial break we resume in the capital of karib two months prior kest and fujiko are wandering the streets they're meeting the people and then they retire to a nearby rooftop to continue their chat karib is being used as a football on the political stage and renania is backing this revolution to put a nuclear threat in their opposition's face Kest knows it, but he says this revolution succeeding is a victory that lets everyone else on the world stage see this is possible. So Fujiko asks, are you after revolution or just chaos? And Kest said, I just want to dance. <laughs> I just want to dance. Uh, but he wants to dance to his own tune, not one of those from a bigger nation's strings. And... Uh, he calls her out on remaining in the uh, the country for so long. 
uh, he says, like, you've got enough for your story and then some. So why are you still here looking for the coordinates of that oil field? What do you actually want? And she says she'll tell him. So we cut back to the present day over the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) It's so Uh, funny that all the names are just filed off because the world map is the world map. Yeah. I forget if like okay we we went to like fake Monaco right like yeah. one of the episodes like the last Goemon yes. episode they didn't uh, they gave it a different name it had an A something I just edited that one yeah so I mean they they've been using fake country names this whole time I guess I mean they usually just, like, do this one but is this one is it's very usually silly. just one yeah usually it's just one and usually they're not this yeah Atlantic Ocean is a little bit much. This is just a hotter version of the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> hotter, eh? <sighs> Multiple ways. I, I don't think we had assassinations involved in that one. That's fair. True. As the hijackers begin to panic at the jets outside, uh, Fujiko slips off a shoe and removes something from the cast pocket with her toes. I believe it's a knife. It's used later it, on to cut the the rope that they're tied up with. It'll turn yeah, out it, later to be some cuticle scissors or something. Oh, okay, that's uh, he, right. He um he used this to cut uh, the end of a cigar. So I oh, think it's a cigar oh, cutter. Shit, okay. you're right. That is a cigar cutter. I did not identify it when it was being used. Yeah, like so in an earlier scene, I don't know if we talked it's about it. It's on the rooftop. Like that. Yeah, the other on the rooftop and they're talking to each other and he pulls this out and it's like very clear that the camera is looking at this object and he cuts the cigar and they keep talking. And like, I think this is where he says, like, OK, get, like gives her the background of why he's in the country because he's not native to Kareem. That was earlier. Yeah. Right. This is the part where he's talking about like um how like the, the future of anybody can hope for and there's like baseball or becoming a musician. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. But like he's a uh, I when I saw that, I especially because being primed with torture at the beginning of this episode, it's like, I hope no one gets their fingers put in that thing. <laughs> so this That's is a much fair. better option. Um, it does look like for a second, though, that she's going to play some footsies with his junk. But instead, yeah. she grabs the scissors. Yeah, it does look like that. And then apparently what's afterwards supposed to be is banter for that, which I just misreading it that way where Kestis goes you know princess that isn't very ladylike and Fujiko says well you asked what I want I, I don't know I don't I don't think they fucked that's my hot take this episode like at all yeah is it dire time yeah that's mm. my hot take this episode you know mm. I can see it she does make a comment at the end of the episode that she hates rock stars. So, hmm. well, I thought he hates rock stars because she's she, like, "Why don't you?" She says it on the beach too. Yeah, not my type. Yeah, he says it because that that's just not like his vibe. But like, he ends up playing that politically, quote unquote. Yeah, that's fair. Like, so, okay, all right. So if I'm going to go along with this, uh, they didn't smash. Like, this has to be a, like, revolution is stored in the balls thing, right? (laughs) There are guys who believed that. Have you ever heard about Gandhi? (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, you know, a thing or two. Yeah. So 
I, my my reasoning for this, which is maybe which is maybe like adjacent and not good at best, but like the part where they're on the rooftop, where like at the end he does the thing where, um, he like flips her over into like a princess carry and then puts her on the reclining chair. I I, I feel like if they were gonna imply that they would have done something more there, and by the fact they didn't. I'm justifying that it never happened. I guess they they don't make it explicit, but I, I, I you know what? That would be like two for two that the Goemon episodes do not have sex in them, which is See, interesting. It, it, it all works out. Uh, let yeah. me check directors. Yeah, I'm curious whether or not there's a through line, because it does seem like they are similar episodes. And then there's that fact that, yeah, there isn't there is one bit of gratuitous nudity, but it's not like. It's not explicitly sexual, like the torture part is like the only like yikes part in this episode, I feel. Yes, the three episodes, including this one, which have not been sexual, were all Daisato written episodes. They were the. First, Lady and the Samurai, Blood-Soaked Triangle, The Pyramid, and now Music and Revolution. Huh. He has one more, which we'll cover next week. Let's see if nobody fucks in that one. Mm. We cut to uh, both world leaders who are now just, um, they're just playing chicken with each other to see who's going to start war first. Um, The refueling is complete, and I forgot to mention earlier, but when they first go to refuel this jet... There's a to me, there was a weird bit in the animation where like it looked like the refueling cable was going straight into the propeller. Oh, yeah, because like the little um, like. Knob, <laughs> whatever, I don't know what to call it, the, the intake thing, nozzle, nozzle, right. that's the word. Uh, it is very close to one of the propellers, especially at the angle they're showing it. So it does like you kind of almost half expect like the fuel rod or whatever to like hit the propeller and cause a crash exactly i'm Um, unfamiliar with how you would have done a mid-air refueling at this point in time so i'm just gonna go with this is something that you can visually see yeah yeah usually i remember seeing like the nozzle being on the top of the fuselage like and it's and it's pretty small or it's like a little it's a little like divot so (laughs) more more of it uh, I mean, to use a, you know, electrical plug term, like, you know, a female end versus the male end of the fuel fuel thing coming in. I'm just going to say Lupin, probably not a series where they did Tom Clancy like research on military hardware before filming. <laughs> what? No, they definitely <laughs> did. I mean, the guns are very well rendered. <laughs> That's true. But I, I guess like this is just like there's probably not going to be fighter jets in other <laughs> episodes, probably. So maybe this is just kind of like a one-off. They didn't, they didn't work quite From so hard. Memory, Although the, no. the MIGs look pretty, the MIGs look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. They, they give a, they give a good distinction between the American and Renanian jets. Yeah. So the refueling um, completes and one of the hijackers um, tries getting the pilot to radio the jets and the pilot's like well, well, who which there's there's a lot of them and he's like just get someone so as this happens we see that fujiko retrieved the cigar cutter and she frees kest's wrists then he hers while the men are distracted in the cockpit 
The two of them have a sort of leisurely chat while this is going on. She's the, so is the oil field not true? And he says that he's going to say as much in the UN speech and basically destroy it, keeping other countries out of his own. She doesn't find this to be particularly compelling argument because... You just took a third party's nuclear missiles onto your soil. Other countries are already in your land. And his counterargument is that he's thinking long term. The staring contest between the great powers can only last so long, and when the scars of war fade, when the missiles are retrieved, his land will remain. And so this is when he whispers the location of those uh, oil wells to her in her ear, and we don't hear what it is but fujiko is uh speechless and uh unsure why he'd trust entrust this knowledge to her and he says simply uh he likes to dance i fell in love with karib the local music the people the beaches the beautiful women better my nation seek remain with you than the nuclear powers you and whoever you work for i know that you're not a journalist and she's like, okay, how long did you know? And he's like, the whole time. <laughs> and I think that actually adds up with that they didn't fuck theory. Because if he knows she's mm. some kind of questionable spy, maybe you don't want to risk that. Or at least, point. like, makes him more, like, puts him in more vulnerable situations, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but apparently, even knowing that, she was too beautiful to just, you know, let her out of his sight. And, uh... He says, like, I'm not going to start World War Three. This isn't this ain't going to happen today. Speaking of World War Three not happening today, Renania uh, fires some missiles. So they're, they're keen on on getting that going um, across the world. Uh, both leaders um, await the striking um, of this match or, you know, the missile hitting the plane. But then fucking Goemon on a biplane comes in and cuts him in half. It's <laughs> so silly. Okay, the dub it's has so a lot good. Of great work with this. I I have to capture one, which is the American Jets response. Uh, Command, I think I just saw a samurai. You stand. You have a biplane keeping like <laughs> like up with like this fucking jets and shit. I love and it so much. And he's just standing much. there. <laughs> it's so good <laughs> everyone has the best response there's basically just a round robin of everyone calling their boss going uh it's great and I love it um so we cut to the oblong office and they're, they're, they're like cool not starting a war today um in the Crimsale, the premier already begins shifting the blame to his general that, you know, he acted alone on his on this. And, you know, the Crimsale's just like, Nope, nope, not my fault. I'm just distancing myself from this. Fujiko and Kest begin making their way to the back of their plane, where they're gonna hop onto Goemon's biplane for an escape. At the last second, he spots them and corners the pair in the back in the cargo area. Fujiko throws this whole thing in his face, going, Oh, please, you'll do the dirty work for countries who don't know your name or care about your nation? Shut up! If I kill Kest, everyone will know who I am. I'll be history! Fujiko's just so disgusted with this. Ugh, you think you're a rock star? Go kill the Beatles or something. <laughs> I'm sure you love that line. <laughs> I 
I did do a little fist bump. <laughs> is, is I, I, like... Spoilers, they don't kill the Beatles, but they apparently exist in this world. Is there some Sybil against the Beatles background I don't know? I think the Beatles are highly overrated, and I would give them like one and a half good records of music. I also think the wrong Beatle died, and the fact that Paul McCartney is still kicking is the saddest thing. I can agree with you on that one. Yeah, at the very least, yeah. I, I Out of all the solo stuff, I definitely liked uh, probably Lennon's the best. Lennon's is okay. I just think Ringo is the best person out of them all, and George oh, was the sure. most talented. I 100% agree with all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I but, have no takes on any of this. But if you have to let one of them continue working into the modern day, fucking uh, Paul? Yeah. No, I, he, he definitely was my least favorite element of the band. To begin with, uh, I definitely had stronger, like Harrison was definitely the first, like his stuff was always like my favorite on the record. Yeah. Also, this reminded me of the awful movie Yesterday Existing, and I started, oh, writing, no. I started writing up a script for what if it's yesterday, but instead of the Beatles disappearing, it's Zune, and then some guy starts trying to write all the Toho tracks and tour worldwide. That's a real thing that I was just doing last night instead of sleeping. <laughs> Being unemployed absolutely hasn't fucked with my brain. No, not at all. Uh, also, mm -hmm. instead of Ed Sheeran, Post Malone was in my version because it's funnier. Th that is funnier. That That is funnier. Just imagine Post Malone being there while a guy is trying to remember and failing how to compose You and Owen was her. It's pretty good. And this is getting crowds worldwide. Anyway, Goemon comes in for the rescue, slices out the back of the plane, and both our heroine and Philadel are sucked out and proceed to get out safely. Presumably the other guy falls to his death. I don't remember seeing him. He's oh, not probably. there. He clearly doesn't jump. Yeah, yeah. Rip those pilots. No, they're fine. I, they're in I the guess. Front. Yeah, I, I, at the very least, <laughs> hopefully they don't crash from all of their weight just getting dumped out the back. Uh, thrown off the ballast. If ballast is a thing with planes. Anyway, we see that the biplane slips away through the clouds and Kest does indeed make his way to the UN in New York City. <laughs> there really should have been a W. It should have been New York because it, it is kind of <laughs> pronounced that way anyway. Yeah. I just secretly hope now that I wanted it to be the the Mario one, the the new the new Doink City, and they just stole it from this. Wait, it's new. I thought it was New Donk City. Yeah, that's oh. New Donk City. Well, I like my version better. Doink is funnier, but New Donk New Donk City sounds like a meme. <laughs> Back on a beach in Carib, uh, Goemon chastises Fujiko. Fujiko's there, just like sunbathing uh, in a bikini. And uh, Goemon is like, well, you didn't finish the hit. Uh, why did you not do that? <laughs> I'm like, why did he not do that, actually? <laughs> well, it's probably one of those situations where, like, he gets called in for a hit and then somebody else comes in for another hit and he goes, my honor says I don't need to do this hit anymore. I, I don't know. They don't explain that part. Okay, I'll, he, I'll lay he, this out when we're done. completed his hit. The hit was the missiles. 
the hit was the silly, so silly. How did they know they were going to be missiles? That that's well, not you. I'll, not know. I'll lay this out in a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he he doesn't like give her too much of the business because he thinks that it may be that she did that for reasons of justice, and he likes justice. That's a thing he respects. But now, he he goes on and asks, like, is this the end of your career? Are you going straight? And she says, nope, I wasn't here for the hit or for justice. I just wanted to know where those oil fields were, because that's a thing you can steal. Yeah, you can, I guess you can, steal you can sell oil. the information. You can steal the information and sell it, I guess. I'm under the impression that they just don't exist still. They might. I don't know. I think they don't. She explains it. Very, like, offhandedly. Well, I know she says, like, oh, no, the coordinates are for right here. And I'm like, oh, so, like, the coordinates were just, like, where he visited and fell in love with the country first, and there was never any oil fields. That's it. They never built the oil fields. There's oil underneath that beach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can, I mean, yeah, they're offshore drilling and stuff. Like, I, I assume that, yeah, it was, like, one of those, like, you would need to, like, develop the beach in order to do that, and they just haven't I, done I, that. That's fair. I, yeah, yeah, part I, of his I, I speech it. is that he thinks the country needs beaches and to be open and to have a culture more than it needs to just be something fueling the world powers. Okay, that's fair. That's Yeah, I, I missed that subtle bit. I read it more as, like, that they weren't there and, like, the cordons were just for, like, again, like, the what he believed in, what he thinks the country should be. And it so, was so you lie. thought the oil fields was a metaphor? <laughs> yes. Um, uh. So during this conversation, um, she's as she was sunbathing, she drops uh, the top of her bikini and asks Goemon to oil her back up, um, uh-huh. which then she just gets up immediately. So he never gets the chance to do so anyway. Not that he would. Well, like he hesitates and then she goes, nah, never mind. That's fair. And then she just spends the rest of the episode bare-chested and tanned, saved, you know, the bikini line part with that region being pale white. Mm-hmm. She lets Goemon in on the secret and that her true name of Fujiko Mine, because Goemon still calls her Maria in this scene. And um, then, yeah, the coordinates of the oil field is the beach that they're on. Um, Fujiko says that uh, Keist logic uh, was. We covered this bit. Yeah, yeah, it didn't need an oil field right now. It needs to be beautiful, but yeah, the thing we covered just yeah. beforehand where it needs to be the culture and everything, and that's the part that will go with her. And so the secret stays with her. Um, going on. Respond- so, like, I, I think that, like, go, I, I hope. That Goemon's response to knowing her real name isn't just, wow, she's also a Japanese. <laughs> well, he's known that this whole time looking at her. I know, I know. It is very funny that they like they specifically call Fujiko Oriental, uh, I believe, in one of these episodes. And it's one of those things where you just can't really tell from the art style, right? Like, does she look particularly Japanese? I don't think so. Everything is so stylized. Try getting any sort of French features out of Lupin. Try getting anything Japanese out of Jigen's face, other than maybe the way his beard comes in. 
That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's it's funny too because like if she is so easily marked as Asian, then how did she pass off as a German school teacher? I I you know, like it starts to break down a little bit. She's a polyglot know. and she can just yeah. wander into any role with the right wig though. Yeah, she Lupin and, has masks, she has hair. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> the, the mask thing next episode is so good. Goemon responds to this with goodbye, Fujiko, and she winks her way to away into the sea. Okay, so do you want the quick chronological layout of what happened here? Yes. Absolutely. All right. Three months prior, Fujiko comes in, possibly for the CIA. We never really find out who she's working for. Uh, one of them has an owl badge, but that kind of doesn't track with other things. So that's why I say maybe CIA. Anyhow, she comes in. She is hired to get close to Kest and get in for the hit. She's part of the team on this. If she can find and seduce out of him where the oil fields are, even better for everyone as they see it. Okay. A few weeks after that, Goemon is hired to come in on this for what is presumed to be the killing. He says, I don't assassinate people, but he hears that Fujiko's here and is like, well, I'll stick around because I'm totally not horny for her. I'm part of your team now. All right, great. Month after that, the revolution has happened. Clearly how Fujiko got into the country is by that initial torture scene hey, you're a journalist, we're going to leak to the opposition party, no, you're not a journalist, and then you'll be saved and picked up. Okay, now you're the innocent, now you're in with Kest. A month later, again, they're wandering around. He's like, you have been here longer than you need for a story, you've recovered, what are you doing? But he's already kind of falling for her, so, you know, whatever. Okay, everyone's happy. She's reporting on the coup as it's going down, everything happens. Two weeks prior to the events of story, this is when everyone's like, all right, you're sure you're going to kill him on the plane? Because I'm not going on the plane, so that duty has to fall to you. That's the Goemon and Fujiko conversation. And then we get to the day of where everything goes off. They leave. They head out to the UN. The international players all get into this. The U.S. has clearly backed the prior regime. That's what their agent was sowing chaos. But whoever they sent in was totally willing to just throw a spanner in the works with, well, if he dies in midair, okay, no problem. Our hands are clean. As opposed to Russia being like, we don't want this to be puppets playing on strings. We want war. We want to start a war. We want to get the victory. We have a trigger right at their throat with missiles in Cuba. Okay. Everything else in the episode plays out. The UN speech happens. Whatever happens to geopolitics in this world happens. Kest lives. Cuba is Cuba. The Cuban Missile Crisis has calmed down. End. See, that makes way more sense. There's a couple of bits in there I didn't connect because of how disjointed the order is. And I don't... I think this one is definitely really let down by the fact that it starts three months ago, two weeks ago, today, two weeks ago again, 
today again. <laughs> you know, it really jumps back in, especially when we're talking like so many different parties involved in different scenes that are like not like physically connected to each other and characters that don't talk. Like the president isn't talking to Fujiko, right? So like, no. there's so many ways it's already disconnected. And then you have the temporal issue. And yeah, at the end of the day, like it was on first watch, this was very hard to tell what Fujiko was really trying to ultimately do and what was why was she there in the first place? Because, yes, you could again, like, can you steal an oil field? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, no, Fujiko is entirely willing to deal in information, just like the papers from the scientist's daughter. Yeah, yeah. So that would that would make sense. But like it, now I'm wondering, like, how did she get? fall in with like the cia like was is this the same thing that happened with zenigata where she's got caught and had to fuck her way into some kind of deal to be like well we won't charge you if you uh help us steal uh you know this country back essentially it's questionable again i don't know you you can never really ask yourself how did everyone get involved in this scheme because uh We'll talk about that as we go into episode eight, Dying Day. Mm -hmm. We start out with Lupin in a very psychedelic and gauche 60s hideout, rainbow paper on the walls, and he is chopping some potatoes over newspaper articles. The headline says the 15th heir of the Donald estate has just perished in an accident. And he mutters the title of the episode as he looks over a photograph in the story. Cut to a warehouse, where two silenced gunshots lead to two guards falling over dead, and the animation makes clear, nope, those were not shots to stun, somebody just took a bullet through the eye. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to jump in and say that Fujiko's outfit this episode is fucking awesome. Oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Great hat. She, She has proportions akin to a One Piece character with the way her outfit is drawn this time, because she's got a very rounded 60s hat, but it's done up in a way that makes it not a beret, and so it's instead rounder on her head. She's about 70% legs. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. And it's got the huge glasses, and yeah, like the it's like an oversized, like, newsy hat, but rounded and styled, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the first time we've seen her just fucking cap some motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, she's been willing to before. We had it in the first episode. Lupin has the discussion. But, like, in that scene, she was using that as a way to get out of a scenario, right? Like, she was in a in a bind, and she sacrificed the dude to get out. This is just straight up fucking, like, murked these two dudes off screen. <laughs> well, not literally. She was not on screen when it happened, but, you know, she was there. But... It's so, like, I just went like, huh, I wonder who this, holy shit, that was Fujiko. Yeah. Also, like, the shot is just, like, extremely well, you know, like, marksmanship. Because isn't it, like, through, like, one of the glasses lens and, like, straight through the head? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very efficient, uh, accurate shooting. Here's the difference between Fujiko and Lupin as thieves. Lupin is all about the challenge of it, the theatricality. I'm going to send you a card. I'm going to make sure you're ready, and I'm still going to win. Whereas Fujiko is an actual cat burglar thief who is going to seduce her way in, get close, do what she can to not have to do this, 
But also, she's not getting caught today. She's not going to let you win. She will use any tool in her arsenal rather than seven gadgets and a mask. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyhow, she has killed both of these men to get access to a gorgeous crystalline tree in this warehouse. So, across town, a mob boss has hired Jigen for one task. Revenge. He says, uh, I just need you to ruin the man who stole my dying day. And... You see, what he means here is that there is this fortune teller, and he rolls up to this boss and says, I know when you're going to die. And thinking that this is a hoax, he said, like, sure, whatever. You could tell me that, <laughs> what day it is. But as the time approaches, he says uh, he, he's become very, very bitter about how this fortune has made his last few days so miserable because he's just had this hanging over his head the whole time. And slowly it dawns on Jigen as the guy starts like clutching his chest <laughs> saying like, wait, that was it's today? <laughs> and then the boss has a heart attack and dies. Uh, his final order was to destroy this uh, lithograph which the fortune teller uses to make his predictions. And uh, yeah, like one of the lies he says before he dies is ruin his life like he ruined my dying days. Uh, elsewhere in the city, we see Zenigata on a roof and Oscar approaches him silently from behind. And that sounds more ominous than it is. <laughs> That's true. Um, Lupin narrates over the scene's transition, uh, filling us in on how everyone the fortune teller prophesized to um, would then instantly not want to know, which is is kind of funny, I suppose. Well, that's how he's saying it. Yeah, that's true. It appears uh, Oscar is coming to Zenigawa with the fortune teller's uh, travels, 11 unconnected deaths. And so, you know, the chief inspector is going, well, unconnected means unconnected. So you're here because... And then um, it is revealed that they share a detail where every victim was someone who Lupin had stolen from at one point in their lives. And um, also Chitoto Chandra, uh, the dying day fortune teller. Um, that seems like something you also want to investigate. So Jigen makes his way to that same warehouse and puts a bullet to or puts a gun to the back of Chitoto's head. He's quite clear. Not here to kill you. Don't make me waste a bullet just ordered to destroy the lithograph. And Chandra shrugs this off in good spirits, talking about, you know, I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm quite fond of the lives people live. I want to tell them everything, not just the final hours. And, uh, hey, good news, job's easy. Someone beat you here, and he says, pointing at the tree, which is now a giant burned pile of ash. Before Jigen can leave, and he's, he's very confused by his, like, you know, you are an awfully pleasant loser. Uh, the police arrive and surround the building. Oscar declares both men to be under arrest, but Jigen shoots out the spotlights and makes his way to the roof. Unfortunately, the cops have more lights and more men. Jigen is captured, but Oscar is just pissed off that Lupin is nowhere to be seen. Jigen is curious why Lupin's name is coming up so suddenly, but as the cop tugs at his head to make sure that he's not the thief in disguise, someone plants a boot on his face and he wakes up in a paddy wagon. 
uh, it's not long before a particularly animated truck with monkey logos all over it pulls aside the police on a bridge and it's like monkey delivery service yes is what so it says on the side you're familiar with why that's there right i no. assumed it was a monkey punch reference yes for the studio the the original author of the lupin manga went by the alias monkey punch so that's sort of a running gag is just paying tribute to the man with like monkey something and that very cartoonish logo that's right that makes sense mm -hmm. but anyway so like it pulls in front of like the not caravan i guess caravan's technically the term it's uh, a caravan. and there, and there's a little like hatch in the back of the truck like in the back door that opens and a stream of flyers flies out like you know paper flyers and blinds one of the lead cars and uh it, it like crashes into uh the barrier and then this leaves the uh the prisoner transport vehicle which swerves and uh ends up spilling its content into a convenient capture wagon which is inside the truck <laughs> Like it's hard to describe exactly how this goes, but it's like, yeah, it's extremely cartoonish. So, you know, exactly what's up. But in the back of the truck, uh, Jigen frees himself. And, uh, you know, one of the cops has made it in the truck with him. And he just like brains the dude with a frying pan. <laughs> and uh, he goes up to the cabin because apparently this is a truck where there is no separation between the uh the cargo container and the driver's side. You could just walk up to the front. There's only a curtain, but he pokes his gun, look, the cop's gun around the corner and points it at the driver and uh, simply asks him, uh, got a smoke. <laughs> so it's, it's Lupin. And uh, on the dash is a card of some kind of, you know, crappy French brand of smokes. And he, you know, being the lucky strike guy, he's like, ah, this is trash. This is all you got. Um, Oh, God, what's the line? Like, he has a line in this that he keeps repeating. And, like, the smokes is one of them. I think the other one was, like, had to do with, like, the tree itself or, like, you know, what's left of the tree. It was just like, ah, oh, this is this is garbage. He, that's not in the dub. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the subs, he has, like, a, he says it, like, three different times. And this is, like, the second time right. it's come up where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is garbage. I can't remember what it is. My mind's just like, what a drag, but I don't think it's that. He's mm. constantly talking about how this is such a boring job in the back half of the episode. <laughs> but Yeah, he does say that too, yeah. In the dub, he's like, got a smoke, and Lupin gestures to his on the dash, and he's just like, oh, crappy French brand. And all Lupin could say with this shit-eating grin is, you should be nicer to the guy who just saved your ass. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny because, like, this is Jigen having a line like, you know, oh, I cut another useless object. Gotcha. Yeah, that doesn't come across in the dub. Huh, funny. Huh. Um, elsewhere, in a bedroom somewhere in the city, we see that before setting the thing ablaze, Fujiko scanned the entire lithograph's structure and is now running on projectors. I believe this is, like, the only part in the episode where she is, like, sexualized, fanserviced in any way. She's nude during the scene, like, sleeping or whatever in this room. With, like, and it's, like, this gold light that's kind of reflecting and making the uh, the lithograph and, like, the light shining on her as well. 
Um, yeah, she's elsewhere. got a very psychedelic pad, sort of like Lupin's. It's not as rainbow themed, but it's very yeah. bright. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's very like seventies, I would say. With that kind of psychedelic, and just mm-hmm. like more, um, more high class than Lupin's. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Chandra is grinning still, looking at the ashes. And then um, cue another trippy dream sequence. Um, there is a man in an owl mask talking to Chandra, um, saying that he can have the power for a slight cost. Um, all he must do is foretell the dying days of Lupin the Third's victims, and he will make sure that they come true. I guarantee it. Um, while Chandra stares at the remains, an owl flies by and perches upon the tree. He kneels down and tells it, It shall be done, my lord. I have set all the necessary events in motion. Um, the eye catches for this episode are Fujiko's hand holding a candle that burns with a trans pride flame, um, dripping wax <laughs> onto another's wrist, and then Jigen holding the half-mangled cigarette in one hand. Look. In that dream sequence, there are candles that burn with a magenta and cyan flame, and there is no other way that you're going to get a trans woman to describe that than a trans pride flame. Th- that's fair. <laughs> I, I'll have to look at the eye catch again. I thought the eye catch one was just blue and purple, but... Maybe it's my TV. They seemed neon to me. So we resume at Lupin's rainbow pad. The thief is cooking, and Jigen is a little skeptical about this. I saw a movie about the thief cooking a meal once. Nobody but him survived the second course. Lupin says, you know, come on. We bonded over that whole near-death thing, and that's why I busted you out. (laughs) Jigen just goes, you're so full of crap. (laughs) Okay, maybe I just felt pity after seeing someone screw up so bad. Lupin's meal actually sounds pretty good, by the way. It's a homemade potato gnocchi with his grandmother's recipe for bolognese sauce. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't doesn't look as good as it sounds, but I'd eat it. Yeah, I'm not sure if he, like, I don't know if it tastes good because they never describe it. (laughs) I mean, like, Jiga just eats it without comment. Lupin's eating as much of it, but uh, I, I do wonder if the fact that it's absolutely drawn to look like slop with chunks in it is intended or not. Yes. <laughs> look, plating is an art in and of itself. It's true. And the thief explains that Chandra came onto the scene around three years ago and became the talk of the underworld. Lupin is interested because clearly this case relates to him. And Jigen figures out by, quote, the stupid grin on your face that Fujiko is also wrapped up in this somehow. <laughs> but he says he doesn't want to owe Lupin anything so all right what's the plan so we smash cut from there to a car driving down the road and this is Shitoto's vehicle um and he's driving it and uh Lupin somehow cartoon logics his way into the back seat so he's just there now and begins speculating out loud about what's going on here uh, he says that he's sure that Shitoto isn't a real psychic because uh, there's a lot of ways to, quote unquote, predict someone's death. You know, you could have a third rate hitman rig up a car to explode. There could be parasites. 
It could be nanomachines. He doesn't say nanomachines, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of different ways to make sure someone dies on a specific day, even behind bulletproof glass. And like the parasites thing is funny because like you see an animation of uh, a pill getting dissolved into water and then the little parasites get yeah, he's in talking there, about and drugs then... uh, auto hypnosis yeah. to make someone collapse yeah. on a t- the he goes real wild with this and we don't see confirmation of anything well we we do see that when the pill dissolves it dissolves in the glass of the mob boss we saw die of a heart attack at the beginning of the episode uh but that's like suggestive i don't think that actually is explanatory um, but anyway, Lupin doesn't really care about the why of it. He just wants to know what the connection to him is because, uh, you know, he's targeting all of his, uh, former victims. Well, I guess they're, they are his victims. They're not former victims. I mean, they're former uh, after the fortune teller gets done with them. That is true. Well, <laughs> late <laughs> victims. How about that? Let's go with late victims. <laughs> Dearly departed. Um, but anyway, when Shitoto gets nervous here, he um, Lupin pulls uh, his pistol to, and puts it to the fortune teller's head and offers him to uh, let him give his regards to his clients personally, which is a line I love. And all Chandra will spill here is uh, he he wanted me to test you to find out if you were worthy of Fujiko Mine. And for whatever reason, this, especially the word he gets Lupin's attention. You're on your way to buy back the lithograph, right? I'll just tag along. And he holsters his gun. We then see at an abandoned gas station, Fujiko waits on her bike in the night. Um, the car then pulls up. And after a brief banter where um, Fujiko then adds a price because ogling costs extra, old man. Um, she reveals that uh, she knows that it's Lupin who has already disguised himself as Chandra. For what it's worth. There is actually a detail I didn't pick up on until the credits. Maybe it's just the dub. It is Lupin's voice actor doing Chandra's voice in this scene. Ah, That's pretty good. Nice. Yes. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the three begin discussing payment and details with the real fortune teller, uh, who is near naked, hidden in the trunk of his own car. Um, but this is where things get a little manic. I was able to foretell a client's death once, but my powers waned afterwards. I took this deal to feel that rush again, the energy. Uh, Now I have one final job to complete. I know your dying day, Fujiko Mine, um, Chandra says. Um, Fujiko scoffs as the rain begins coming down, um, saying he just admitted he had no powers anymore. Um, He is about to say... Um, when it is, but then spotlights flood the area as Oscar and the police come in for round two. Um, Shintoto is grinning even more madly now. The more characters in attendance, the more fun the performance. A gunfight between cops and robbers ensues, with the trio of never-do-wells hiding behind the big-ass boat car. It seems pretty one-sided until Jigen with a sniper rifle begins picking off policemen left and right. He's uh-huh. This is why the whole meeting was at the gas station. He's on the roof of it. <laughs> He's mm. just sitting here going, what a boring job, but I owed you. Is this a gas station? <laughs> I have no idea what, that what this is, area actually is. 
So the area the meeting is at, I took as a gas station because it has an overhang. It's got a bunch of empty space. Like, maybe it's a truck stop? I would have to watch this again because, like, my impression was this was, like, in front of, like, an old-style, like, pseudo-Greco-Roman building. Like, you know, the fucking... uh, Oh, God, what the hell is his name? The Lincoln Memorial kind of vibe. I don't know why that was the vibe I had in my head. <laughs> it's very different than gas station. I'm thinking on it more, and you're right. It probably is that, because I guess they can't have gotten far enough to be at an entire second site for the finale, but who yeah. knows? Yeah. <laughs> my, my notes just had it down as gas station. <laughs> I mean, look, if they put a, you know, a gas pump in the Lincoln Memorial, I mean, I'd be more likely to go. Hey, Megatron showed up just for that one time. <laughs> and then there was the time that uh, I think it was Cutman was going to threaten the Memorial. No, Proto Man was threatening the Lincoln Memorial. Anyway, mm. anime loves just showing up and fucking with the Lincoln statue. Did, did the Lincoln Memorial show up at the end of Metal Gear Solid 2? No, that was the middle of New York City. Shit, you're right, because I was about to say, oh, it's the Library of Congress, that's it, or like the New York Public Library or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I, right, because the whole Two Towers thing. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Anyhow, uh, in the middle of this gunfight, the projectors that recreate the lithograph get shot out, so that's lost forever. And Lupin is... You know, being a little snide about this, he goes, don't go dying on me until I've slept with you now, right? And Fujiko <laughs> runs into the distance and says, if they manage to get me, ask Zenigata for a description. See you, Lupin. <laughs> what a bird. <laughs> <laughs> she flees into the night and he gets so... Pin- Wait, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, you know, just uh, just imagine like a cut later where Zenigata is like describing to Lupin about what getting a prostate massage feels like. <laughs> All right, let's be real. If Zenigata gets Lupin locked up, you know he's going to brag. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so while Lupin is unable to follow because he's still under gunfire, uh, Shitoto keeps up despite the ropes that have been wrapped around him and a flash of lightning illuminates the shadows of nearby trees on a wall and he screams in ecstasy. His powers have returned and he can see everything now. And he says like, now I can finish my final job and reveal, reveal your uh, dying day, Fujiko for Count Lu- Count Louis U. Almeida. I think that's how he, that is how he pronounces it. Louis U. Almeida. And this is clearly a trigger for Fujiko because she has uh, a psychedelic flashback here and we get the uh, the buzzing like headache sort of inducing track again. Right. So we see a hand like we, this is where we see a hand coming towards her. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we see a hand coming towards her and it looks like it's like glowing with magic or something. But before we know anything, find out anything else about it, lightning strikes and knocks an antenna loose from the roof of the building that was nearby. And this flies off and like effectively crucifies the fortune teller. It's pinned his ropes. Yeah. It's pinned him between, you know, by his ropes into the ground. I I thought for a second, it was going to like just impale him. (laughs) 
Yep. But that's that's not how they go here. <laughs> they go a little bit more intense. Uh, the one other thing that is interesting is that there is a power cable, a loose power cable that is now at the feet of the fortune teller. And before he can speak and tell her her dying day, Fujiko decides to shoot the live wire, which ends up frying him alive in an extremely brutal shot. Yeah, he's on fire. Um, I would not use the picture of him burning alive here, but we no. cut aside for one second and there's a shot of her just silent, licked by flames. And that's going to be our episode art this week. It's so good. I need to like rewatch this episode. I think this might have been cut from the high dive version because I do not. This could be something. I cannot place this. This could be a Blu-ray thing. I was going to say, this could be something that was cut for TV edits, and if that was a simulcast, that would be... Right. Because I think in my version I watched, like, it cuts away when she shoots it, and then it pans back to see, like, the charred body. Okay, because, like, they they spend, like, a few seconds on his face, then they cut to Fujiko, and then they cut back to his face, and he's still melting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's (laughs) brutal. But we just have a cut in between the two shots, and it's her just looking silently furious, gun in hand in the rain, and flames are just framing the whole scene around the corners. And the key thing here is that while he is still burning, the clock strikes midnight. And -hmm. then she says to him, oh, you survived to make it to your dying day. So apparently she knew his dying day and he was going to die before it, but he was not completely immolated by then. <laughs> and so he made it, and it worked out. Yeah. yeah. You, got, you got to keep track of the time. Um, <laughs> so Zenigawa looks at the after report the next morning, and once again is nothing but disappointed with Oscar. Uh, I believe uh, Zenigawa calls, calls him a rookie as well. Yeah. This is yeah. brutal because Zenigata is at the station. And they're just showing him slides. It's like, okay, here's the burnt out corpse. There's nothing left of Chandra, but the cross-like antenna in the ground and scorch marks. And then there's all the damaged projectors. And then there's no loop in the third groveling at my feet. But the thing is, that's such a rude thing because he's already fucked up get grabbing Lupin on a couple of occasions himself. So like, come on, dude. The difference is if Zenigata fucks up, it's Zenigata's fault. If Oscar takes over a case and fucks up, someone gets reamed. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Also, Zenigata usually doesn't have a body count. That's true. That is a good point. the, The cultist at the very first episode did not end up dead. They arrested that guy. Mm hmm. That's true. Yeah, like, there, there's at least, like, two or three dead cops at this scene. Oh, yeah. This went really fucking awry. Uh, so, after this, um, Lupin and Jigen uh, split off, mission done, and Lupin has a little narrative outro. Um, we don't choose our dying day, and so we can't be told one way or another. We live until it comes. Isn't that right, Fujiko Mine? Um... 
we uh, see one more second of the psych psychedelia as she sulks in the tub, the owl mask count um, gripping her by the face and shoving her backwards into... We do not know, but it looks unpleasant. Also, like, when she's in this tub, it, like, she, she, she clearly, like, can't breathe in this position. Like, her, her nose is under the water. And it bugged me. Okay, I feel like I watched a different version of this because what it looked like was that she was a child and she was sitting on a like a bed. Well, that's and... that's the vision. When she's in the tub, she's yeah. an adult. Okay, cuz I thought we were talking about the vision. No, no. Okay, she's in the tub and thinking about the vision. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, 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 she's she's in the tub in real life and you know maybe that's an art error, I don't know. I Okay, yeah, or like I'm mixing up like which part is which because the style is kind of the same. But yeah, the implications are not very good. <laughs> I promise you didn't just see what it looks what like. is implied. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'll just wait for two weeks to find We're out. Staying light on details for a reason because it's still an upsetting scene. But yeah, yeah. Well, at least it isn't what we assumed it is. Yeah. I promise that. I don't recall all the details of the Count's plan. I remember the broad strokes of the back half of this series, but I do recall there being no sexual assault of a young woman. Thank God for that. That was not a foregone conclusion, unfortunately. That's true. Especially given this show. So how are y'all feeling about this after this? We're, we're done with disc one. Disc one of two. Goemon cut missiles in half, and it was awesome. Uh, like, this is where, like, things got, like, scrambled the most in my head for me, because, like, I liked... Okay, torture aside, the t like, this is really bookended by two scenes that are extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's... It makes the middle of it feel really weird, because I'm like, all right, I I'm kind of into this, but could have used, you know, without the whipping part, that was completely unnecessary and gratuitous. Um, but again, like looking at it from like, this is an exploitation film vibe, like that, again, that aligns, but it's like, it's immaterial to the actual plot of the story. Like she could have just been there as a, as a journalist, you know, infiltrating, didn't need a torture scene. Uh, but like the timeline stuff in the first episode, confusing. And I feel like the conclusion isn't really well spelled out unless you really sit down and think about it. But, like, I enjoyed, like, the intrigue of it and the style and the tension. Like, that was all good. I, I think the missile thing is really silly. But, like, but it's I get awesome. it. It's awesome. It's a car. It's a too silly for me. Like, I, I, I can concede that. We already have one extremely silly character. That is his whole premise. And he's not in this episode. So, like, I'm less bought in to Goemon also being a cartoon character, even though I know. Yes, he cut a fucking rabbit out of that silver tray. <laughs> but in this episode here, I think is super interesting. You know, that last uncomfortable scene aside, I think this one is like also pretty good. I guess it's also another one where Fujiko doesn't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, but but uh, I, I like that the team is getting together and I like the way Lupin is written in general. Like, I think... He's very fun to watch and his lines are very smart and he gets a rise out of the other characters in a way that I think is really interesting. Uh, and even, you know, 
Fujiko likes to sort of give as good as she gets to some degree with him, and that's also a lot of fun. I'm just confused, though. Like, what's the deal with this psychic stuff? <laughs> what's the deal with this owl dude? Like, it, there's so many things that don't get explained in this episode that I'm, I, you know, I'm interested to know, find out what's we, up with that. We are going to start actually doing the metaplot escape. And also, uh, speaking of psychic stuff, I, I should say that, you know, sometimes Fujiko has been telepathic. What? In, in different loop and stuff. Oh, what? Okay. Sometimes. I don't think they really do much with that anymore. But, you know, part two, part three, they got weird. So Are we like, just going to find out this whole thing what? is like child psychic soldier training that she broke free of and became a thief? No. <laughs> is she is she good at, at thieving and seduction because she's psychic? Is this no. just an Emma Frost thing? No. <laughs> uh, uh, mm, X to doubt. No. X to doubt. So, you have been listening to us on the Pitch Drop Network. You can actually find us at pitchdrop.cash if you want to kick into our Patreon and get some bonus episodes of this show, other shows on the network, things that Matt and I do with ourselves and other people. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt, would you like to talk about some of your projects? Sure. Uh, Bocono Stop. That's the, well, you're listening to a Bocono Stop. There is another Bocono Stop for patrons only where we are covering Death Note. And that has gotten weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's <laughs> weird. And for me, not very good. Uh, but it's been a, a fun ride so far. And uh, also, we uh, have a RP- JRPG Games Club podcast called Lightning Strikes Thrice, where we are currently playing Final Fantasy VIII. And I also occasionally write some Yuri Manga reviews. There'll probably be a couple coming up because uh, Yuri Spore Volume 3 just dropped. And uh, at the end of this month, uh, Volume 7 for How Do We Relationship is coming. And those are two series I'm very interested in. Garrett, how about you? How about me, indeed? Uh, I... Uh, sometimes record a podcast with a couple other folks uh, talking about Common Rider uh, through the lens of one of the anniversary shows. Um, it's journeythroughthedecacast.com uh, and uh, it, it, we can be relevant with the Blu-ray release of Kuga that came out. That That's an entire show that I talked about as I gesture that you cannot see to the left. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, those Blu-rays have started making their way out, and uh, they're quite good. They seem to have upped the quality from the last one. Oh, that's good. Uh, I know that they have, this is the extremely nerdy bit, but uh, they have the Grungy subs, I believe, on a separate track. Yes, as opposed to streaming on Shout Factory, where they were just on. Yeah, which, for, if you're watching it for the first time, don't have those on. Uh, have them on. There's really no reason to go back. Hmm. <sighs> They don't spoil anything. I, I, that's fair. And with that, we will be back in two weeks with episodes 9 and 10 and ask the question, Hey, what's up with all these goddamn owls? Goodbye. See ya. Bye.